Church, Andover Campus, in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at either 8.30 or 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. Would you pray with me? Uh, Almighty God, open our hearts and minds to understand that which you've revealed to us in Scripture and that you wish to reveal to us today. Uh, Move us to hear and move us to action. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. How many of you have seen the British Baking Show? The rest of you are missing out on one of the most important things in your life. <laughs> Go subscribe to Netflix today and, and watch this show. You will, you will stop binge watching whatever else you are watching. Uh, it's a baking competition show where each week some of Britain's finest home bakers gather uh, to uh, face three challenges. A, a signature challenge where you might make uh, 40 macrons or uh, the best uh, crisp pastry you can make. Uh, then your middle challenge is kind of a, a sneaky thing. They give you uh, this like random thing you've never heard of and you're supposed to make it like poached meringue with a custard and spun caramel. And they don't give you the directions. They just tell you like, make a meringue. Um, and then after you survive this, you have to do a signature challenge where you make the finest chocolate work you could make or you make... Um, a uh, meat-stuffed pastry thing. And the whole way, you're judged by Paul and Mary. We're not going to talk about the last season. They changed the judges, and it's entirely disappointing. Uh, But Paul and Mary uh, hold you to a standard for everything. They apparently have never made a mistake in their life. (laughs) Um, A soggy bottom to your pastry is an affront to humanity. Uh, If you haven't stirred up just enough of your meringue so that your chocolate souffle has flakes in it, you're you're really shameful. Um, They judge you according to a perfect standard for every one of these bakes. You could never have heard of this thing. You might never have made it. Uh, Some of them are like things people don't even want to taste because they don't like this thing or that, but they're held to a standard. Uh, Paul will get there with his knife and count the layers of a 20-layer thing. He'll break apart your puff pastry to see if it's actually puffed. Uh, Because they know what these things are supposed to look like, right? Uh, I fancy myself a good cook. Um, While I watch the show, I think I would have gotten that. I'd have gotten that right. Um, Failing to consider that in my life, I've definitely uh, made some mistakes in my bakes. One Christmas... I made Lydia Bastianich's rosemary and lemon focaccia bread. Uh, It sounds delicious, um, and I think it's supposed to be delicious. (laughs) Uh, You you make the bread, you cut up lemon very finely, you leave the peel on it and you cut it up, you soak it in uh, sugar and you're going to place it on the focaccia and break it. Apparently I didn't understand the standard of how thin you're supposed to cut lemon. So I had what I thought were thin chunks of lemon. It's the most bitter, nasty-tasting, soggy bunch of bread you've ever tried. Uh, But I have a pattern of this. Uh, When I was younger, I decided I was going to make homemade mozzarella cheese sticks. We were going to make them, and Daddy was going to fry them up. I thought I was following the recipe. Turns out there's a difference between, like, a quarter tablespoon of Worcestershire sauce and a quarter cup of Worcestershire sauce. (laughs) They were smelling funky while they were cooking. 
they tasted horrible. Um, I had missed the standard for how cheese sticks are supposed to taste. Um, I've taken up knitting recently as my new pastime because I can't do woodworking at my house. I don't have a garage. I'm learning to knit. I've watched YouTube video after YouTube video. I can cast on my stitches. I, I've, got, I've learned that metal, metal needles are kind of an affront to a purist, so I've gotten my best bamboo needles. Uh, this is a pretty cheap hobby, too. The bamboo needles are like $10. But uh, I've gotten where I think my row of cast-on stitches is beautiful. I've planned my scarf that I'm going to make for somebody out of love. And I begin to knit. Somewhere, I am adding a stitch every row. So my scarf starts here and looks like an afghan 10 rows later. I am missing the standard for how you knit. I hear that there are those here who can teach me how to, to stop this, uh, but it's like a pride thing. I'm going to figure this out. Maybe pride comes before the fall or something, but uh, I'm going to learn. There's a standard for everything, though, right? Like, no matter what you do for work or for fun, there's some standard. Uh, if you're a lawyer, you have to pass a bar, but then you also have to, like, do the right thing when you're practicing law, right? If not, your client can claim ineffective counsel. If you're a surgeon replacing a heart valve, there's a right way to do it and a wrong way. Uh, I keep bringing myself up. If you're a mechanic, there's a standard for how you put the cables back on the spark plugs in your truck. If you put them back out of order, your car will jump up and down like this down the street. It's the last time I ever tried to repair my own car. Uh, I changed my oil and replaced my spark plugs. It was supposed to take like an hour. It took me like seven, and it, it was bad. Um, if you're a teacher, there's a standard for what you're supposed to teach each grade level. If you're an interior designer, uh, there are things that look good and things that look bad, and even if we don't understand, you know what looks good because there's a standard. That's what today's text is about, is a bunch of people who had totally missed the standard. Amos chapter 6, or chapter 7. For six chapters beforehand, the prophets have been calling them to a standard. Israel, you keep doing this worship stuff. You keep sacrificing bulls and goats and acting like you're good Israelites. But you trample on the marginalized. You sell them. You try to loan them your cloak for interest. You are missing the standard. Come back actually worship God out of gladness, serve the people, care for the marginalized, and we will be all right. By chapter 7, it's clear that the people are not going to measure up. And so Yahweh, through Amos, begins to offer a couple of visions as to what things look like. And this one is the vision of a plumb line. How many of you are master builders? I tried building too. <laughs> if you don't have the wall square, things don't work out. A plumb line... Uh, was much more common before we had lasers and fancy levels and squares and all this, but you would hang a string from the top and you'd measure the distance from the string to your wall and you'd go to the bottom and you'd measure the distance between this string and the wall. And if they were the exact same, you knew that your wall was vertical. It had met the standard. If there was even the most minute difference, your building is gonna crumble. We know that from construction, right? Like, uh, the, the house I live in, it, it's settling in the, the kind of, like, soft ground around it, and so things are beginning to not look right, so doors don't quite close the way they're supposed to, or one door will have a big gap under it. Things being plumb, being square, following the standard absolutely matter, and God uses this vision to talk to Israel about how they 
are out of square. How they are not meeting the standard that he has set. How for six chapters he's been calling them back to follow the standard he has for Israel. The standard that's been laid out since the beginning to, uh, uh, as the Ten Commandments, you know, have no other God before me to worship the God, don't make false idols. And then these things about caring for, for people, you know, don't commit adultery, don't steal. Uh, we've gone for like 600 laws, right, of things they're supposed to do that show that they love God and love each other. But to boil it down, the prophets get much simpler. Don't just do these sacrifices. Care for the people. This is a sign that you're actually worshiping Yahweh. But they don't get it. Uh, Amos has come from the south. He's He's a herdsman and a tree farmer and comes up as like a volunteer prophet. He's not even getting paid for this gig. Comes up here and declares this and the king gets word. And so the king's priest comes and says, get out of town, you uh, professional prophet. Leave and go uh, get your money somewhere else. And Amos is like, I'm doing this because Yahweh told me to do this, not because I'm getting a dime for this. Here's the reality, you king. This place is getting ready to face consequences because they don't measure up, and you chief amongst them. You've trampled over people, and so now the swords are coming. You're going into exile, and you're going to live in a foreign land. Word of God for the people of God. Um, Text goes on, more visions after more visions. Ultimately, we know that the people do go into exile, first uh, the north to Assyria, then the south to Babylon. They have the season of kind of marinating, uh, where hopefully like, they're kind of returning back to Yahweh, right? They're going to get everything right and come back, and all of a sudden they're going to meet the standard. They go out, they spend their season in exile, come back, and before the temple is done, they're already doing things they're not supposed to. They're marrying foreign people. They're violating law after law. And it's clear that no matter what happened up there, nothing has changed in here. Um, they measured up against the standard, and they missed it. Each one of us has had a standard in our life for faith, right? Right? Somebody has told you what your faith should look like, what your expression of Christianity should look like. I've, I've been honest, most of my life, the standard I heard was you had to be good enough so you didn't go to hell. Uh, the standard was all around compliance to a set of uh, bad things, and we definitely had a scale of bad things, right? I mean, some were way worse, but if you prayed about them uh, to avoid hell, that was the standard of faith. Uh, at points in my life, I've swung the other way. I heard, you know, you just got to love God and love your neighbor, and so as long as I could say that, everything was fine. And what we uh, did didn't actually matter. Uh, you've heard something from somebody. Your Sunday school teacher, a parent, a wise mentor, somebody has kind of told you either through words or through actions or sometimes through that knowing look what your faith is supposed to look like, right? So often... We miss the standard because we don't understand what it's supposed to be kind of born out of. Uh, the great gift after reading a passage like this is that Jesus comes on the scene. Jesus is born, takes, uh, takes on flesh, has this childhood, has this ministry where he teaches us. He uh, suffers on the cross, he is resurrected, and he ascends to heaven and gives us his spirit. In his teaching, he does uh, something that's a bit 
uh, confusing on the face of it. Uh, in the face of these bajillion laws that Israel has, an even more rabbinical kind of interpretation, uh, he's asked, what is the greatest law? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the second is love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these. So it's love God and love your neighbor, right? Uh, that's uh, uh, an easy lock-stock definition of what's important. But this same Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, uh, you've heard it said, don't murder. I say if you've been angry in your heart, you've already murdered. Uh, you've heard it say, don't commit adultery. If you have lusted in your heart, you've already committed adultery. So what is it? Like perfect compliance to a law that's even harder now, or just love God and love your neighbor? What has hit me like a sack of bricks this week is it's both. But it's because one sets us up for the other. Uh, if we love God and love our neighbor, our lives can't help but bear the fruit of right living. We can't help but love people so much that we don't want evil for them, that we won't be angry with them. We can't help but care about someone as a person and not see them as an object. But it's all because of where our heart disposition is. That's been the problem since the very beginning of the text. From eating the fruit to the people crucifying Christ, their hearts have never been oriented towards understanding loving God and loving neighbor and that the, the actions of law will be born out of that, that good works is actually good fruit. We uh, like to be a people who do things ourselves. We, uh, I've been on a diet most of my life. I can follow it rigidly uh, for a while. But after a while, it gets really hard. Um, I, I bet there's something in all of your life that you've used willpower for a season, but unless like your life changes, willpower alone isn't enough. We can be obedient to a set of rules about how we're supposed to look for a while. But if our heart is transformed, if we're filled with the Spirit, if God moves us to love God and to love our neighbor, we'll bear all the fruit and we'll actually begin to live a life that meets the standard. Uh, the lectionary offers two texts this week that have been uh, uh, pretty powerful to me. Paul writing to the Colossians, we haven't stopped praying for you and asking you to be filled with the knowledge of God's will with all wisdom and spiritual understanding. We're praying this so that you can live lives that are worthy of the Lord and pleasing to him in every way by producing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God by being strengthened through his glorious might so that you endure everything and have patience and by giving thanks with joy to the Father. He made it so you could take part in the inheritance and the light granted to God's holy people. He rescued us from the control of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. He set us free through the Son and forgave our sins. There's a whole lot of things that God did here and not one that we did. Too often preachers beat you over the head with, you need to do this so you get right. I really am become more and more convinced that the most right thing we can do is say, here I am, Lord. Fill my heart, empty out whatever is not of you and fill it with love for you, with love for our neighbors.
Fill us with wisdom and understanding that we might live lives worthy of your calling. Because God can do it. God has been the standard from the very beginning. Uh, and in the very, very first set of covenants, when God makes covenant with Abraham, he uh, has them cut apart some animals, set up a covenant sacrifice. And normally we would expect the lesser party to walk through this sacrifice. For Abraham to walk through and say, if I break the covenant, may it be to me like these animals. But Abraham doesn't walk through. Yahweh walks through the fire. He's the one who has always said, I can be the, the standard of the covenant. I am the one by which we can judge faithfulness. And that's Paul's prayer for the church at uh, and the Colossians, that they would be open to God's filling, to, doing, uh, to allowing God to work in and through them, and then them bearing fruit. I wanted this text to be uh, maybe a whole lot more complicated than I think it actually is and a whole lot uh, more like seeking the profound thing out in it. But I've been struck this week by the simplicity that on our own strength, we're never going to measure up to the standard. Like Amos was calling them back to love God. Your, Your little sacrifices of bulls and goats, if they're from just obligation, if they're doing to make you look good, they're never going to measure up. If our showing up to church and giving our tithes and offerings is just because we feel obligated, we're never going to measure up. But if we say, God, you take control of our hearts. You fill us. Help us love you. Help us love our neighbor. We can't help but bear good fruit. We can't help but meet the standard perfectly. Uh, I love the lectionary psalm for today. Uh, Psalm 25. Make your ways known to me, Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth. Teach it to me because you are the God who saves me. I put my hope in you all day long. Lord, remember your compassion and faithful love. They are forever. But don't remember the sins of my youth or wrongdoing. Remember me only according to your faithful love for the sake of your goodness, Lord. The Lord is good and does the right thing. He teaches sinners which way they should go. God guides the weak to justice, teaching them his way. All the Lord's paths are loving and faithful. In a text that on the the simple reading feels like another call to legalistic obedience of some laws. This text seems to be a call to allow the one who is faithful to be faithful, to get out of God's way and invite him in to transform our hearts, to let him uh, move us to bear good fruit. I think it's that simple. I think absent God, absent our heart being turned to him, there's zero hope of us ever measuring up to the standard. But if we simply say, here I am, Lord, fill me up, we can't help but meet the standard. Would you pray with me? Holy and loving God, um, we confess that so often we try to meet the standard on our own strength, on our own will. Forgive us. We also confess that sometimes we do the actions of faith out of obligation and not out of an overflowing delight in you. Forgive us.
Lord, you are loving and you are faithful. And you desire nothing more than to fill us. To bear good fruit through us. And for the world to see your face. Lord, here we are. Fill our hearts. Orient us towards you. When we get bogged down in legalism or nothing, turn our hearts to you and you alone. For we recognize that you are the standard. You are the faithful one from beginning to end, from the beginning of your story until the end. It is you and you alone. Lord, have your way in us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.